We turn now to our reading from the Belgic Confession. Uh, this evening, our sermon is based on the Belgic Confession, Article 33. It's on page 850 of the Gray Psalter Hymnal, page 850 and 51. And we can do this the way that we've been doing it for the past few weeks, where I'll read the first paragraph, you can read the second paragraph, I'll read the third, and you can read the fourth. <clears throat> Belgian Confession, Article 33. We believe that our good God, mindful of our crudeness and weakness, has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. For they are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible, by means of which God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they are not empty and hollow signs to fool and deceive us, for their truth is Jesus Christ, without whom they would be nothing. Moreover, we are satisfied with the number of sacraments that Christ our Master has ordained for us. There are only two, the sacrament of baptism and the Holy Supper of Jesus Christ. Thus far the reading from the confession. Our scripture reading this evening is from the Gospel of John, chapter 19. John chapter 19. And you may turn there with me if you like, or you may simply listen if you prefer. The Gospel of John, chapter 19, we're going to be reading verses 28 through 37. 28 through 37 on the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we approach God's word, let's come before him in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that here the truth is made plain, that here we see you for who you are, the creator of all things, the redeemer of humankind, the one who is making all things new. And Lord, we pray that as we read your word this evening, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us to open our eyes that we may see, to open our ears that we may hear, to open our minds that we may know, and to open our hearts that we may believe. Everything that it is that you would show us on this day transform us more and more into your image that we may shine your light in this world. Amen. The Gospel of John chapter 19 starting at verse 28. The Apostle writes, Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they, soaked, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, 
and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the others. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, for the past couple of months as we've been walking through the Belgian Confession, we've been looking at what the church is. The Belgian Confession has already brought us so far over this past year that we've been studying it. We've, we've come to see how we come to know God through the creation and through his word. We have learned that our God is triune, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who together share one divine nature. We've seen how God provides for his creation and for his people by his grace. We've learned that Christ is the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, and we've learned of all the benefits that he gives to those who confess his name. And these past months, these past two months or so, we've been walking through what scripture teaches us about the church. We started with what the church is, the chosen and called out people of God brought together from the ends of the earth to be a holy people set apart for God's special purpose. Pastor Carl walked us through the three marks of the true church, the three marks that identify the true church, the preaching of the word, the celebration of the sacraments, and Christian discipleship. And in the time since then, we've looked at how the church is governed by ministers and elders and deacons who ensure that the church stays true to its calling to preach the word, to celebrate the sacraments, and to lead all Christians in lives of faithful discipleship. And today in Article 33, we make what I think is an exciting turn from the governance of the church to the sacraments. I mean, the governance of the church has been fun, but now we're getting to the sacraments. In the Reformed tradition, we believe in two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And Debray expresses his contentment at the end of Article 33 with these two. In the Catholic Church of the day, there were seven sacraments. Um, and we'll look at that a bit more in just a minute. But I want to focus on three things in this sermon, three things that Debray offers us to help us understand what a sacrament is here in Article 33. And the first one that I want to talk about is that the sacraments are visible signs and seals of something internal and invisible. What Debray is saying here is that the sacraments point beyond themselves. 
In the medieval church, a problematic belief had risen that the reformers pushed against. Many people believed that the sacraments, the elements of the sacraments, the physical water, the physical bread, the physical wine, contained God's grace inside of them. And as long as you got that bread, as long as you got that water, you got God's grace. This was never an official teaching of the Catholic Church, but it was something that a lot of people sitting in the pews thought was true. People thought that the physical elements of the sacraments, the water of baptism, the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, somehow filled you with God's grace. If you didn't get the sacraments, you didn't get God's grace. And if you did get the sacraments, you were assured of your salvation, as long as you didn't sin anymore after receiving the sacraments. So this is why in the medieval church you have stories about people rushing their babies to church the moment that they're born, in the middle of winter, because they believed that if a baby died before it was baptized, it couldn't get into heaven because it hadn't received God's grace. This is why people had a priest come to their home when they were dying to give them the sacrament of communion, because they believed that if you died with the body and blood of Christ on your lips, there was no way you couldn't get into heaven. But Debray and the other reformers saw all this as a bunch of superstition. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, they say, don't save us. They point to what saves us. They point to who saves us, Christ. The physical elements of the sacraments do not contain salvation. They point us to salvation. More than just pointing, though, they confirm it in us. And this is another thing that Debray says. The physical signs and seals, these physical signs and seals, confirm in us a spiritual reality which is already true. And this leads to the second point that the confession makes that I want to focus on, which is that the effectiveness of the sacraments, the power of the sacraments, is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the truth of the sacraments, which is Christ, DeBrace says, Christ is the truth of the sacraments. And through the truth of the sacraments, God works in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this, I think, is a really interesting thing because we do believe in the Reformed tradition even though we don't believe that the sacraments contain grace, we do really believe that the sacraments do a real thing. When we receive the, the waters of baptism, we really do receive the forgiveness and grace that comes through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. When we receive the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper, we really do receive the body and blood of our Lord and the grace that it imparts. But the grace that we receive from God is not a physical thing. It's not contained in the physical thing. We can't physically be washed in grace. We can't physically eat and drink God's grace. We receive God's grace by faith, the instrument through which the Holy Spirit communicates Christ and all his benefits. And as we'll see next week, the confession, or not next week, a few weeks from now when we look at the Lord's Supper, the confession calls faith the mouth of our soul. These are not empty and hollow signs. These are not nice, quaint, old-fashioned rituals that we do only because we are commanded to do so by our Lord. That's a major place where we differ from our Baptist and Mennonite brothers and sisters who view the sacraments simply as ordinances, as rituals that we do because Jesus tells us to do them 
not because they actually cause anything real to happen in our lives. What we believe in the Reformed tradition, as the confession tells us here, is that the sacraments do truly communicate God's grace to us, confirming in us the salvation that he imparts by the power of the Holy Spirit because their truth is in Christ, without whom they would be nothing. And that brings me to the third point that I want to emphasize from the confession. Debray tells us that the sacraments nourish and strengthen no, nourish and sustain. What is it? Nourish and sustain our faith. The sacraments nourish and sustain our faith. That's a powerful thing to say. The sacraments, these signs and seals of God's covenant with us, nourish and sustain our faith. The confession explains that God has added these sacraments to the word of God, the word of the gospel, to better represent to our external senses both what God enables us to understand in the gospel and what God does inwardly in our hearts. The sacraments, in a lot of ways, are God's show and tell for our worship together as his people. What God's word tells us, the sacraments show us. The theologian Augustine called the sacraments the visible word of God. And this is why, this is just a little side trail, but this is why in the Christian Reformed Church we have ministers of the word, not ministers of the word and sacraments. Because in our tradition, the way that we understand it, the sacraments are a visible expression of the word. The word is confirmed in the sacraments. The sacraments are the word made visible for us in our communal worship. So we don't have ministers of the word and sacrament, we have ministers of the word because sacraments are an extension of the word. So Debray tells us three things about a sacrament. A sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible grace which nourishes and strengthens our faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. A visible sign of an invisible grace which nourishes and strengthens our faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting to me, and this might be interesting to you as well, is that those three things could be true about a lot more things than just baptism and the Lord's Supper. Visible things that show us God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, strengthen our faith. Visible manifestations of God's grace that strengthen our faith through the Holy Spirit. There's a whole bunch of things that could fall into that category seems, right? And before the Reformation, there were a whole bunch of things that fell into that category. The word sacrament, the word itself, comes from the Latin sacramentum. And the word sacramentum in the Latin uh, is not a word that appears in the Bible. The Bible was written in Greek, not in Latin. But in Jesus' time, the Latin word sacramentum in the Roman world referred to an oath that a soldier took when he joined the military, an oath to pledge his life to the protection of the empire. And as the church grew throughout the Roman Empire, Christians saw this act of soldiers devoting their lives to the empire as something that they kind of identified with, except they weren't 
devoting their lives to the empire. They were devoting their lives to the kingdom of God. This word that referred to a pledge, an oath, a commitment, covenant. Baptism was a pledge from God, a sacrament from God, confirming the washing away of our sins in Jesus' blood. Communion was a pledge of God's grace, confirming that Christ makes us part of his body by offering himself to us on the cross. But the early church was pretty loose with its language and used the word sacramentum to refer to all sorts of things that showed us God's grace, all sorts of things that pointed us to God's grace. And so the earliest Christians, you'll find in their writings, that they refer to God's greeting and God's blessing at the beginning and end of the service as a sacrament. They refer to the reading of the word in the worship service as a sacrament that points us to God's grace. Uh, anointing with oil for the sick, ordination, exorcism, the Apostles' Creed, all of these things are called sacraments. The early church even used the word sacramentum to refer to the creation because all things on earth point us to their creator. All the things that God has made point us to his grace. And so we might wonder then why the church stopped using the language of sacrament so broadly. If the early church used the word sacrament to refer to everything that God had created, why do we use it only for these two signs and seals of baptism and the Lord's Supper? And this is actually something that we find quite a bit throughout church history, that a dangerous teaching comes up that confuses the message of the gospel or misrepresents the message of the gospel. And Christians kind of agree that maybe we should be more careful with our language. And so over time, the church begins to limit its use of the word sacrament to just a few things. By the time of the Reformation, the church pretty well the church was pretty well agreed that there were seven sacraments. Baptism, confirmation, or what we would call profession of faith, confession of sin, the Lord's Supper, and then marriage, ordination, and last rites. But the reformers, because of abuses in the way that the church practiced things like confirmation and confession and ordination and perpetuated superstition around uh, things like the last rites, the reformers decided to limit their use of the word sacrament to just two things, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the thing is that even Catholic theologians will admit that baptism and the Lord's Supper are the primary sacraments and that the others are simply extensions of those sacraments in different situations. Even Reformed theologians will admit that those other five things are things that show us God's grace and point to the truth of the gospel and are commanded in the scriptures. So there's some overlap. There's some common ground here, even though we disagree with the Catholics about what exactly a sacrament is. And so the Reformers, for the sake of clarity, for the sake of staying as close to the word of God as they could, reserved the use of the word sacrament to baptism and the Lord's Supper alone. These two things that are central 
to our identity as God's people, especially in our life together, which is why we only practice them as part of corporate worship. The way that we understand it, when we bring the Lord's Supper to an individual in their home, as we will this evening, we are bringing this worship service to them. We are bringing the church to them where they are. Their celebration of the sacrament is an extension of our public, corporate celebration of the sacrament. These two signs are central to our identity as God's worshiping people. And the thing that I find so powerful that, about them is that through these two signs, God allows us to see his grace throughout our lives in everyday things. Water, food, drink. These things become symbols of God's grace and love for us. And through the regular celebration of these sacraments, our imaginations are transformed. We begin to see God's grace to us in the everyday acts of washing our hands, watching the rainfall, watering our gardens, bathing our bodies. The water reminds us of God's grace which washes away our sin and brings life to everything it touches. We begin to see God's grace in every meal, in every refreshing drink. Every time we break bread with a sister or brother in Christ, we see Christ's body broken and his blood poured out to reconcile us to himself and one another. The sacraments transform the way that we see the world. And they also transform the way that we experience the reading of God's word. The um, reformed preacher Hans Vorsma talks about a sacramental lens that we get when we celebrate the sacraments regularly. A sacramental lens through which we read scripture. And the stories of the Bible then become intertwined and interconnected in a really interesting and fascinating way when we see in every instance of water a symbol of baptism and every instance of people eating and drinking a symbol of communion. And we see that kind of imagination already at work in the writing of the New Testament. The story of the flood in 1 Peter becomes a symbol of baptism. The crossing of the Red Sea becomes a parable for how God brings us from slavery to sin to new life in Christ through the waters of baptism. Christ is the tree of life in the Garden of Eden whose flesh renews and sustains us for eternal life. Jesus is the living water Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the true vine. And the fruit that he bears through his branches is the wine of the new covenant. In our passage today from the Gospel of John, a soldier pierces the side of the body of our Lord. And from his side, water and blood flow out onto the and the pastors and theologians of the early church saw in this story a beautiful image of the new creation. And they go all the way back to the creation story to make this connection. Because when Adam slept, God took a rib from his side. And from that rib, he shaped Eve, Adam's bride and the mother of all the living. And as our Lord Jesus Christ, the new Adam, 
slept in the sleep of death. God pierced his side. And from his side poured the signs of the new covenant, the water and the blood, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And from these sacraments, God shaped his church, the bride of Christ and the mother of all who believe. Let us thank God for these gifts of his grace, which confirm in us the salvation that he imparts through the power of the Holy Spirit to nourish and sustain our faith until he comes again and makes all things new. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. O Lord our God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the truth of our salvation in Christ. And we thank you that you have given us these signs and seals that confirm that truth in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. O Lord our God, we pray that we would always be grateful to you for these signs of our salvation, which communicate your grace to us in such a powerful way. We pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we might receive your grace, and that it may transform us as we are taken up in the body of Christ, which we also receive. Bless us, O Lord our God, we pray. In your name.